Hi, welcome to Integrative Lawyers of the World, where we believe lawyers can contribute to the healing of the world by practicing law in a way that honors our integrity, our interconnectedness with one another, that practices law with courage, bravery, and honesty. We know this because we know lawyers who are doing just this all around the world. Hi, I'm Carrie Raleigh, host of Integrative Lawyers of the World, and our guest this episode is Saeed Akbar Hussein. He is from Pakistan, and he is a leader and proponent of arbitration, negotiation, and mediation internationally and in his homeland of Pakistan. Join us today and listen into this episode. And if you'd like to listen to other episodes, you can find out more at www.integrativelaw.com. Thank you for joining us. Hi, Akbar. How are you today? Hey, Carrie. I'm good. How are you? Good. Thank you. I'm so happy that you are joining us today. And I know you are from Pakistan, but you're joining us from London. Is that right? That is correct. I finally managed to take a break after three years of dealing with a pandemic. And now my break is just letting me breathe. <laughs> ah, I like how you put that. Just breathe. How important is that to have that moment where you can just, do you feel a little bit like where you can just let your guard down a little bit and just like sink into yourself again? Yeah. So basically us lawyers, we tend to have a problem where we deal with one stress after one stress after one stress. And usually 80% of that stress is not our stress, it's someone else's problems that we're sort of internalizing. And we forget that we're kind of human and we're sort of like a melting boiling pot. And if you don't learn to breathe, and if you don't learn when to just get away and breathe, you may not have the best time with it. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. I remember when I was um, practicing commercial litigation, I forget what it was like it was a very stressful case and we were very stressed by it and part of it was the situation our client was in wasn't the best right and you get stressed over it and finally one of the partners was just looked at us and she's like we didn't create this we can do the best that we can to help the client but we didn't create it so and i think her advice was to me is like don't take on this stress and I think that was one of the most helpful things a partner ever said to me. Still hard to do, but that was very helpful for her to say that to me. That is very important. Look, we tend to put ourselves as little champions of people who need help, right? Um, that's a very noble thing to think of, and that somehow justifies what we do. But at the end of the day, your partner is absolutely right. You are just there to help. You cannot do impossible things. You cannot somehow reverse whatever happened. You're only capable of doing whatever at that moment within your skill set and within the framework of whatever legal fraternity and industry you're working in, you can accomplish. So once you sort of put it down to little buckets, it becomes the chaos becomes a little bit of order. And once you've got that down, then it's easier to manage it. It's easy to manage expectations for them as well, because for them, they want everything, obviously. But you and we as lawyers, we have to, at some point, especially when we're young, we try to do too much. But as we go older and, uh, you know, you start getting more white in your beard and stuff, then you suddenly come to a point where you know you can promise the world to them. 
and it's okay if you can't promise the world to them so you're more comfortable laying down boundaries laying down the law literally and telling them that this is what we can do that helps you manage your stress a lot better that manages helps manage the expectation of the clients a lot better and for certain problematic clients that also helps you filter them out better yeah yeah the importance of knowing which clients to uh, I think I, I, I was going to say knowing which clients to accept as clients and which ones not. As a younger associate, you, you just want, you know, you want to work with everyone. But that also comes with age and experience to know it's okay sometimes to recognize this client's not a right fit for me or I'm not a right fit for this client. And either one is better for both the client and for the attorney to recognize that. Um, so before this, we got into this, you were talking about how you feel after going through the last, you know, three years or two years, um, you get a chance to feel like you can breathe. I guess COVID and the pandemic has been a world experience. So I'd, I'd like to ask a little bit, how was it for you? And um, So it was a mixed bag because right before COVID is when I got married. And right before COVID is when I launched my recent startup that took over my life and basically made me put law to the side. Well, not law in its entirety, but the standard legal practice to the side and focus entirely on alternative dispute resolution. That, <laughs> what a great that time to start a startup, early. right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right? All of that was a sort of a plan that started at the end of 2019. So marriage happened end of 2019, uh, startup launched in 2019. We, she technically was my first partner in the startup, like my wife. So I met her because of the work I was doing in ADR. Uh, she, <laughs> I had a meeting with her. She used to be some, uh, something big in, in administrating a law school. Went over, took a meeting. She blew me off completely. She said, your proposal is horrid. We're never going to work with you. Uh, apparently many conflicts of interest which I had no about no idea about and then uh, we kept going and she had a specific word for me you were the most arrogant dash dash on the planet when I met you and I said okay then I did my job as a lawyer that's good so then we kept on and on we sort of structured the startup we started figuring out how and what to do it she eventually ended up uh, leaving her job and then working with us because what the pandemic did was it a created a space for a lot of people to understand what was really important what wasn't such as these these uh, jobs these occupations that we had that required us to be in an office from nine to five or whatever your timings are and just stay there so covid allowed remote working to happen COVID allowed people to decide their hours. COVID allowed a lot of flexibility. And then also allowed my startup to suddenly shift from thinking, okay, we're going to have to take up all of these costs in the start to realizing we have to take up almost zero costs in the start because now everyone is okay with online. So because we were starting with the training courses. So we launched Pakistan's first mediation training program and that was all physical so we have people come, uh, flying in from london from greece to train the students and so on and uh, that was lovely but it was also stressful the pandemic what it did while it did a lot of other favors from the marriage because essentially we were stuck to each other all day every day and 
<laughs> that has its own joy. But other than that, what I did for the work part was it allowed me to very easily say that we are now moving to a more flexible uh, structure of business or work. All of my clients were, even with the legal part, all of my clients are now comfortable just talking with me on the phone or just me being at home and dealing with their stuff. And suddenly everyone realized, other than the people who had to go to court because Pakistan never really, uh, I heard a lot of other jurisdictions managed to move the courts online in some ways to allow hearings. Pakistan never did that. And they never could do that because we don't have the infrastructure. We don't have anything to allow that. So we became more important because we were the only option. So in that entire sphere, uh, online dispute resolution became a much bigger topic. Our work, we started doing seminars, we started doing more trainings. All of our trainings shifted online. I essentially am the partner, uh, uh, resident rep of ADR Odia International. And we basically had to figure out new ways of doing things. So we figured all of that out. We managed to, in the past uh, three or four years, train around 50, 60 mediators which isn't a lot considering Pakistan population, but it's a lot considering that we start from zero. So it's essentially a world and an industry that didn't exist. Or even if it existed, it was, how do I put this politely? It was very badly managed and almost to the point that it was being brought to its little coffin. And I was told that I was not the smartest person on the planet <laughs> for trying to, uh, give it, you know, the entire Phoenix treatment out of the ashes thing. But somehow we managed to do it. So pandemic was a mixed bag for me. Bad because people got sick. We lost a lot of people. Uh, good because it allowed the world to realize that we are more than just these buildings, just these uh, other extra paraphernalia that we have around us. So mixed bag. Yeah. And yeah. Still married. So you're still married. Yeah. yeah. When you said um, how you were, uh, I forget how you worded it, but you said how, you know, you and your wife were stuck together in the house, just the two of you. And there was a chuckle. And yeah. when you had that chuckle, husband and wife's the world over, we all understand that chuckle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was told because, see, we never had a pre-COVID time. So everything was just this is it man this is what we got so we everything everyone else so my wife had never really known what i practiced but i never did uh, family or divorce law right i was a purely corporate or an adr dispute resolution expert but suddenly out of the blue every month i would get at least four referrals for a divorce and i would keep telling them dude i don't do divorces and I, they would be like, look, we are all sort of packed up. Everyone else is doing a bunch of other divorces. Could you please handle this? I'm like, no, I'll find some other people. So then I had to find them other lawyers because every lawyer here was up to there. In divorces. Yeah. And wow. that basically put my wife into, oh, what's going to happen to us? Like, I have no idea. Like, the bigger thing is, I think people, there was a before and an after for people. So life whatever it was for married people was freeing was however they managed to stay and be happy together but then COVID when they changed everything for that they also changed the dynamics of a lot of relationships not just marriages but every relationship whether family whether professional and so on so everyone was tested in that period and because our test essentially was have you survived it 
like yes ah oh, you're good nothing okay. gonna happen to people and i beg to differ but fine yeah i'd like to go through some of what you said um you said you had created your startup and talked briefly about how it was mediation training can you tell me a little bit more about your startup and how you got tell me a little bit more about it what it is and then also why you started it so well uh, let's do the why first because that'll lead to what i did the why of it was that i have been raised in a very big legal family in pakistan so i have seen law all my life my father was the was the chief justice and he became supreme court judge now he's advisor to the president so he and everyone around me were these big figures and all of their bigness came from law so it was expected of me that i would also do something in law and hopefully something big but my problem was that most of law that i saw was to what my father saw my my father and all of our elders used to practice in the 80s and the 70s 60s and so on so my father became a judge in the 90s now maybe the law was practiced in a certain way back then but when we came into it as me and my generation we saw what you can consider the millennial complaint everything felt wrong uh, the salary felt wrong the structure felt wrong the purpose felt wrong uh, it's deeply deeply important for you to understand a law can a yes it has lots of money in it it also has the capacity to do a lot of good in it people think these two things are mutually exclusive that is not really the case but still nevertheless these were the ambitions that bring a lot of lawyers a lot of people into it when our generation came in we saw that both of these things would come to fruition after 20 30 years or whatever it is that we're going to do and we're somewhat impatient people apparently so we couldn't figure out how to uh, quicken that process that other than that that's just a practice of saw the practice the actual proceedings in the courts in pakistan are atrocious to the point that people have been inheriting litigation because we don't resolve a case in the lifetime of one person what It, type of case would this be that would take so long mostly land cases dispute uh, family disputes contract disputes commercial may still happen quickly because there's this time is money so they will still want i mean regardless that they don't really have an option but they still want for it to happen quicker for other cases especially for example there are too many inheritance cases that have basically started from your great grandfathers and still haven't been resolved because people how do i put this in pakistan people have the liberty and freedom to fight for as long as possible a we don't have cost sanctions and b usually litigation depending on how you do it is cheapish like you can get a lawyer in any price scale and even more delaying things is the cheapest and the easiest thing to do in pakistan i'm any sorry say that again delaying something oh. is the cheapest and easiest thing to do in pakistan yeah any client can come to me and ask me to say i want a injunction or stay order on this and i want to pay you this much and so on and he could find an entire laundry list of lawyers of every capacity of every price point to make that happen he come the poor guy comes and saying i want this resolved and i want my money back 
that is going to take eternity. So that is the situation that we saw in Pakistan. And I knew that this was not sustainable. So I needed to think of something else because if I'm building a profession, if I'm building an entire life on a career, on a notion that this is going to be what feeds my family, what gives me identity and so on, then I need to understand it better. So we, I practiced where, when the moment I left law school, I started practicing. I then went after, I was, after three or four years in 2014, I left for my master's in Turkey. So Turkey allowed me- What did me you get your master's in? Law, private law, LLM. Yeah. So I was then exposed to arbitrations, to media, to ADR basically to the bigger world of everything. And what my motivation to start was I wanted international arbitration. I wanted to do the sort of thing that was global so that my mind could continue expanding and I could be doing all sorts of fun things. Uh, in that pursuit, I went back, I tried to, find, tried to find people who were doing it in Pakistan. Turned out that was like this big. Yeah. What so, type of matters would be um, involved in international arbitrations? The only time you have an international arbitration is usually, in our cases, power disputes. So you have the government that is basically producing power. Sorry, that's buying power. You have independent power producers that are usually sponsored by a lot of international uh, funders and so on, and they basically set up a power plant here. So because the magnitude and the amount of the money is so massive, usually involving millions and billions of dollars, that is when they almost always put an international arbitration clause, either with the ICC or with LCIA in London or Singapore, Singapore Arbitration Center. Recently, Dubai has also become pretty big. So Dubai International Arbitration Center is also getting it. Uh, there is, uh, what was that? There's another LCIA and another uh, organization in Dubai. I think Dubai Financial Center, something. Uh, DIFC, uh, Dubai International Finance Center. They also set up an arbitration hub. So arbitration usually would be when you would not, you would A, want to escape a, one country's jurisdiction because you need a neutral space. Second, you'd need a neutral group of arbitrators. And thirdly, you'd want it to happen in a way, in a more professional, more streamlined way that would not be possible through litigation. So yeah, so I want to do the international arbitration gig came back, final was pretty small. That's when I connected with Raheem here. Raheem Javed, uh, Raheem uh, was basically the a CEO of ADI OD International. In Shamdi, sorry. And he basically said, look, I don't have an arbitration course right now, but we are doing a negotiation course in Dubai. So why don't you join us here? Like, sure. So 2017, I flew to Dubai, did a negotiation course, and that began my journey with ADIA ODI International. And once I started that journey, I went back, tried to find and tried to scope out more things that were going on in Pakistan. In the while, I also became an advisor and an uh, arbitrator at the Federal Ombudsman for Workplace Harassment. I've had many detours into human rights, so that was one of my detours into trying to do something good for people. Uh, but that was also through all of the ADR conversation I had. You're doing um, arbitration training or negotiation training in Dubai? Negotiation training. Negotiation training. And then, and then somehow in the course of your training and uh, pursuit of international arbitrations, you got involved in human rights work? 
so my ADR work has always run parallel to my legal work because the ADR work for the most part was not the money maker while the legal work was. So the legal work sustained me while I tried finding this passion of mine, which was ADR. And what so, was you? Do, what was the legal work at the time that you were doing? Legal work at the time was standard uh, corporate company advisories, just helping the company figure their stuff out. It was, I was slowly shifting away from litigation, basically. Okay. So you were doing corporate legal work, litigation, shifting away from it, but you're still involved in that arena because that's paying the bills, bringing the money in. And then on the same side, on your own time, you're doing the arbitration training. So this, let's say this is where I started with as far as litigation was concerned, slowly brought down while my ADR work was going up. It was, you don't really just go full boom. You try to keep the bills going. Um, so during that time, I, the I'll tell you someday about the harassment stuff. That was very fascinating, but it was also very eye-opening. But anyway, in that process and uh, quite a few other things, I also managed to, uh, as part of my detour, because I was in, in a sambad at that time, I was also part of a litigation that brought our previous prime minister down and forced him to resign and brought the current, or at least Imran Khan, into power. And that was all part of a journey that I was fortunate enough to have because of uh, the world I was part of. And uh, all through this is me meeting a lot of the seniors, a lot of the biggest lawyers in Pakistan, and them doing what they do, which is constitutional work, which is litigation, which is another. And me coming in saying, no, 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 I want you to tell me what ADR is and how to make it work. And they're like, look, dude, we can't do any of that for you. You can work with us on these other things because ADR is not going to be a thing that we are ever going to be part of. Because to them, it was, see, the bigger issue in here is the inertia required. So shifting from what they know to coming to something that's completely new is not something I thought would ever work. So at no point in this entire startup that I worked on, did I ever think that I would be changing the big minds? I only wanted to focus on the little more malleable, more fresh minds who will be able to think bigger because the deeper you go into law and litigation, the more solid you become, unfortunately, and the more, how do I put this, inflexible you become. Well, and I would also see it, you're entrenched and you're inflexible in part because that's what you know more, but there's also an element of, this is something that could, some people may see it as a threat. You know, I get my, my source, the way that I make my living is through litigation. Why would I want to encourage people to do something outside of or alternative to litigation? Did you face any of that? Of course, but you need to understand. I have a very easy economic retort or rebuttal for that. It's just, unfortunately, lawyers are horrible at maths. So telling them that whatever you make out of litigation is X, but it takes you Y amount of hours to actually accomplish whatever it is that that money is supposed to do. Whereas through my way, you get very little lower than X, but Y goes substantially down. 
so you are getting paid more for your hours you will have more free time you'll be able to actually take up more things handle them close them move on and you wouldn't have this entire ponzi scheme of lot of case upon case upon case required to make this entire hegemony of this law firm of yours work because you have to pay your associate you have to pay so you pretty much have exhausted so let's say you take a case in 2000 right in 2001 2002 that you know that that's going to go for another in pakistan reason uh, at least 5 6 years but no one's going to pay you for the daily expense or the yearly expense of 5 6 year case that would be enormous so what they do is they think that they're going to take many of these cases and somehow the economies of that would work the economies of that would never work but again telling lawyers maths is very difficult they've just been taught that this is how things work that's how they go but again as a millennial the unfortunate problem is um maybe once upon a time in the early eras of humanity which would be 1670 and so on uh, it was possible to have one job pay a mortgage get a house and so on now the price and everything else is sky high so the elders are very upset with us that we are not happy with small salaries and just being slaves for 5 or 6 years until we are allowed to do something uh because that's how they did it which is adorable uh, it's wonderful that you did it it's kind of impossible for us but they really don't want to hear that and then you know they have other issues with our generation so it's kind of a agree to disagree thing so it seems like the why was when you got into the career in in looking at it a large part of it just didn't seem to make sense to you in terms of the time involved with the with the time involved with the money that you get in exchange for your time um as well as a sense of i don't want to have to wait 20 years in my career before i can start finding something meaningful to me yeah, let me put you correct let me put a third one on there as well so first is sustainability right second is identity like this is i'm a lawyer and i want to say that through law i've made quite a decent life third is another bigger fatter problem in pakistan you have zero client satisfaction because the client is coming to you hoping for a remedy and you are unable to provide the remedy the remedy being okay this guy took this guy defaulted or he breached this contract i want to sue him for damages and i want this much money okay so i can tell okay this is something we can realistically work with this is how much damages you suffered fair enough but you have to realize and this is where client satisfaction goes yeah <sighs> this money you'll get after at least 12 15 years of going back appeals and uh, remands and more appeals and more cases and then more uh, and see in pakistan we have this other beautiful thing once you've got a decree from the court you also have to start an execution proceeding execution proceedings can take even longer so at the end of the day you're not getting your money back at any decent lifetime by then i'll most likely have retired so um just keep that in mind no one likes hearing that no they don't no one wants to get into that but their problem is for until frankly we came i came with up with whatever i'm doing and whatever we eventually managed to make they had no choice except that they would 
like all lawyers at the end of the day would basically use it as a negotiation tactic to just get them to settle at some point. It would we would just bully them. We would just um, blackmail them. We would do something. Uh, blackmail is too strong a word. But do I do get what you sense because sometimes it does sound like blackmail or, or it, it feels. Yeah, at the end of the day, someone bit, yeah. feels they're being wronged because we are very good at delaying things. Or we're very good at the game of attrition or sieges or so on, if you want to put more fit terms, right? So in, as far as they're concerned, we, they were wronged. They are continuing to be wronged. And they seem to see no notion of whatever we call justice and we being the i was going to use a very strong word but let's see if it works we being the peddlers of justice saying that we are the ones who will get you justice eventually give them no justice so you're left with a very like you can make money then there's nothing stopping you you can still uh if you're a decent enough how to put this peddler you were still very capable of spinning all kinds of stories to make sure that it works out for you. Your client may or may not be entirely happy with it. So the litigation game became very different very quickly. Because, see, Pakistan going to, came into existence in 1947. So we started with uh, 60 years. We just basically were fooling around trying to figure out what we were actually were as a country. And how things are supposed to go. Let's say we got into our stride by the 2000s. By the 2000s, we realized we have a backlog of more than a million cases, and we still have no idea how to resolve them, how to do anything about them. And if maybe things were able to go for the next 60 years, we just suddenly realized that if we want 60 more years, if this backlog never goes away, then our justice system will be choked. If we talk our justice system, then there's never going to be, so the government wants immense amounts of foreign investment, right? There's no one who is stupid enough to come and invest and come to do business when they know that the piece of paper on which they have signed means nothing. Because that piece of paper, can I can literally just hold it up and be like, this is not genuine. And that, just saying that sentence, I can stretch out for at least 10 years. So that may that may not be the best incentive no, to yeah. run any economy. So it's it came to a point where everyone started desperately looking for options. And suddenly we seemed to be an option because I was the only one who was there with something, with a ready product, essentially. Before me, people were doing things, but there were, see, in every startup, in every way, I'm sure Uber had its own set of circumstances and issues, but Uber did things in a way that allowed them to succeed over others. It's not that no one had ever thought same with Airbnb and Google and a lot of other startups. Your trick is not to actually have something that's very fundamentally new. The you it's the execution, it's how you sell that new thing. It's how you sell whatever it is that you have, whatever you want to do, in a way that the obvious hindrances or the obvious obstacles you can overcome. So um, how did you go with your startup? First of all, what's the name of the of the startup? The ADR initiative. The ADR initiative. How did you go from when your wife was looking at the your your before she was your wife, looked at your proposal that said that this proposal is I forget what you said, ridiculous, will never work with you to her becoming a partner in it. <laughs> There's a lot of growth in those two sections. So 
to get to that yeah. point where you did get something that can be executed better than others and to succeed? Sometimes I think it was just uh, she was madly in love is what I would like to think. <laughs> so she suddenly thought, OK, fine, I'll, I'll entertain this idiot for whatever it is that he's doing. <laughs> and maybe he might turn out right. Um, the difference was, I think, so in the start, the way things had been done before was that people, and uh, by people, I mean various organizations, they used to rely on external funding, on grants, on sponsors, and so on, to make any training work in Pakistan. So there was arbitration. There was, sometimes the World Bank came in, and they tried to sponsor something. The problem I saw with all of this was sustainability. So that, because essentially it meant that someone else coming in to do something nice for us is the only way, at least these people understand how it's going to work. That wasn't something I could continue with because you can't set up an entire business or a company on that foundation. So even if these avenues, all this money was available to me, I said no to it. And I went in trying to find the private market. And by private market, I don't mean I went to corporations or to the private sector. I went to students. I went to law colleges. I went to the places and people that I knew were already selling stuff, already very good at selling various things of this nature of training and so on to students who may be because of their own background and so on. They came from affluent backgrounds. They were able to afford the very expensive training that I was putting out because let's be clear, mediation training in London right now, Cedar and a lot of others offer for 5,000 pounds or 4,000 pounds. Area Audio International right now offers it for 3,500 pounds. Okay. They're young, but they're still very big. I sat down with Raheem and said, if you try, if I try to sell this at this rate in Pakistan, it's just not going to work because to you, this may seem like just a bunch of words for us, but for us, the exchange rate makes it at least 20 times this amount. We can't afford this. So I need you to bring it down as much as you possibly can so that I can pitch it to students. So we, uh, we offer the poor guy, I still feel sorry for him, but it was, it was a business decision. We offered it at around 5% of the amount. We offered it to Pakistani students for around 65,000 rupees, which no other international accredited provider was prepared to do. And that was important. We needed international accreditation because Pakistan itself had no uh, credibility on this. So I needed someone else to be able to say, I am accrediting you and recognizing you and you'll be recognized in the UK and Singapore and these other areas so that the value was created. That value then I sold to students, not to the corporates because I knew the corporates are gonna, or especially the public sector is gonna try to just lowball me and just annoy me. Because How did you talk to the students if there's not a, in, in the marketplace of the disputes in Pakistan at that time, mm -hmm. there's not a big place for arbitration. So how do you go to the students? Get trained in this and oh, here's how you will get work. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I get that. But you need to understand, I took the much harder route. I didn't even sell arbitration, which is the easier sell. I had to sell mediation. Mediation. Mediation yeah. existed in negatives. <laughs> like it wasn't wow. even true. 
it was it had been ruined so much by the previous generation that by now by then people thought i was just crazy um but how did i pedal to students i sold them in the way i knew students bought things and let me here take a segue into a little other experience so when i was young ish i used to do theater and music so i started off my life as a project after getting out of school in the self that made a theater production company then i made a music record label and we did a lot of things that taught me how to make things attractive to the youth or to the young people so what we did was uh the we scheduled the course in the end of november but before that we took the entirety we took a couple of teams from that college with us to dubai and we got them to party so we took a bunch of kids to dubai where they took a bunch of pictures where they sent back a bunch of pictures about this is what we're doing in dubai these people are taking us to this area this is this is this so our instagram blew up and by blow up i mean we don't have that many followers but my own my instagram my other people and all around we just kept on sending it or just kept telling people to put these up and by the time they came back they were like i had to tell them two things look this training is recognized in london right so all of you are pretty much going to be done with your bachelor's llb and would want to go to because that's a trend in pakistan once you do llb you go to london or america or somewhere else to your bar or to your llm and so on so once you come to london you'll already have professional qualifications so you can just practice as a mediator so all of that was not something that i needed to convince the kids to be very clear it was the kid it was what the kids needed to convince their parents i see so the kids <laughs> to take whatever it was in me and another thing this was actually fundamental i did not do more of the marketing as much as my other partner did because what i did was i came back i went to my old law school and this is why my wife was so upset with me i went to my old law school which was a comparator of my wife's law school i told them i am bringing this to you i already knew the coordinator and the law director over there so i met her i told her this is what i'm going to do she said thank you i wanted to do something like this for so long and just as a little tangent now after that she basically set up her own law school because i sort of be- gave her quite a few avenues so when uh, i came to her i told her look what we do is you work with me you partner with me and she was the third partner in adr right and we make this course work and after that we can do whatever we want because once i can show that we have broken this ceiling that no one else has been able to break then we are playing in a world that is it's just new we have no idea what it is but we will just come into a new world into a new playground and we'll be able to build our own so she using her expertise as a law director as someone who's already marketing lots of law courses she took that i told then later on i brought that to my wife and she's like are you crazy they're already a competitors and you're trying to bring this to me please get out <laughs> and uh, uh, yeah i have no idea how i managed to make that work <laughs> but uh, we we got a decent amount of students which was basically my quota for making the finances work and once we did i was able to very confidently say that i relied on not the world bank not some ngo 
not the government on anyone. I managed to make a course and sell it and make it work because the students or the people that are part of the course made the economics possible. Now that was what was necessary, sustainability. So once I was able to show that to the world, all the doors opened. Suddenly everyone, my competitors, old competitors that were dead or dormant suddenly started to wake up and I thought, oh, what, what the hell? And then suddenly they, <laughs> we had what we call um, copy pasting. So all everything that I put up on LinkedIn as in this is what we're doing. Just a day afterwards, we saw another post from someone else saying this is what we're doing. Really? And, yeah. And uh, imitation is flattery and all of that jazz. But it pissed off quite a lot of my people. Well, and yeah. I told them there's no way to stop this. So just enjoy it. Our yeah. job is to just keep innovating. If you just keep doing that, you do not ever have to look back or look around. You just only have to look forward. Look forward. If you're capable of only looking forward or only about what you're doing. You never have to worry about, okay, this is what he's doing. This is what he's doing. Oh, this is what they did once upon a time. That is just stuff that holds you back. Because I, let me be very clear. It's not that uh, what your competitor is doing is not relevant. But as they try to do with what we were doing, you can never understand what was going on behind them in their board, in their meetings to make whatever it was happen. If you just try to replicate them, you will never be able to do it justice or do it right. And more importantly, you will never be able to focus on building your own brand or building your own thing. And plus it kind of gets, uh, they're, if you, right, they're looking at you, they're copying what you're doing. And so then if you're looking at them and seeing what they're doing and copy what, what they're doing, it just is kind of the innovation is just kind of circular going round and round as opposed to someone going forward, like you said. Um, and plus, I guess another side of it, if more people are doing it, then it's going to create a bigger marketplace. More people will become aware of it as well, uh, it being the mediation. I just had a thought too. You know how you said you're going to law students? And that makes sense because the lawyers are, you know, they're going to be the future leaders in the legal system and they'll be trained in mediation. They'll be doing that and they'll be talking to their clients about that. What about some type of joint program with the MBA students, the business students in the business school? Because now the future leaders of the businesses will be primed and they'll understand when they get into a dispute, they want mediation instead of the protracted litigation. That is exactly what I thought. And that is actually what I was going to do circa February 2020 if a certain Chinese or that had not done whatever it did. And then basically whatever else happened because of that. And I didn't have to wear a bunch of masks every day and meetings and talking to people just essentially became possible. Yeah, so actually that's kind of big. That's just a personal problem. I am much better at dealing or meeting or getting things done when I'm physically in front of people. A lot of other people don't have that problem. So for a lot of others, it was just zooming and just getting things done. To me, it was like, until I'm not sitting with the person, until I don't get the feel, I don't get whatever it is that I need, the confidence to make it work or make it happen. And if that doesn't happen, then I'm just not very sure about whatever's going on. That makes sense. I mean, I do a lot of interviews via Zoom, but I still like in-person interviews the best. You just, there's something about in-person meetings, especially when I was in litigation and trying to take a deposition over video. You can do it 
it's fine, but there's something intangible about the in-person just that you can observe or something. Um, so oh, you can feel it. I have yeah. no qualms about it. There's probably some sort of quasi science about it, but you can definitely feel it. I can feel it when someone is, uh, for lack of a better word, BSing me. I can feel it when someone is just trying to spin me around. And if it should be my choice to figure out whether or not I want to go down on it. But if I don't even get it, then I can't really do anything about it. So my, if my skill set is now useful in, let's say, 20, 30%, because 70% of that is being in front of people. And if that's not the future, I might be becoming obsolete. And that's a very interesting and sometimes scary thing. But in the biggest sense, it's good. So you see, even when you said about the competitors that came about from ADRI, I was very clear that competitors were going to exist. In fact, I wanted that to happen because if nothing else, before me, and this is a, I feel like this is a very lawyer thing. We like too much control. Lawyers like to somehow have, you know, their little tentacles and everything. And the previous ones had basically failed because of that. So if we have enough people, the bigger issue is if something new is going to come about, my industry is very interested in knowing who is controlling it. I had to make it very clear, no one's controlling it. I am not definitely controlling it. No one else is capable of controlling it. And if someone tries to control it, we can destroy that in a second. Because none of this is just one person's game. So we try to democratize absolutely everything that even if some of the old people, some of the more senior, more resourceful people try to come in and try to take up the work that we had done, the most they could do is just this much. Yeah. But someone else would just come and a free market principle, right? Someone else would just come and do something better in a much smaller way. So some people did try to do this. They tried to offer a course after I did and they tried to offer it for triple my rates. And I was like, yay. I mean, all the proving is that good. <laughs> I mean, I was right because you, you can't, for them, operation, minimum operation expenses are so high that they would never come down to my level. So that was lovely for me. We are taking a brief break from this conversation to ask for your financial support. With each episode, we hope you can see how lawyers and peacemakers like you are contributing to the healing of the world. It takes many kinds of resources for the integrative law movement to keep going and affecting change. Your monetary donation can help us continue this important work by supporting the activities and the members of this community. Each contribution goes to promote the stability and accessibility of the movement and to support basic expenses like our Mighty Network Group, web hosting, social media and event management, and this Integrative Lawyers of the World podcast. Because we like to give people choices, we have ongoing monthly options to match your budget, or you can make a one-time donation. Thanks to our non-profit corporate sponsor, the Renaissance Law Society, US supporters are able to make tax-deductible donations. Supporters from other countries, please check your local tax laws. To help establish confidence in your choice to supporters, we have set up an open collective transparent plan to track how the community money is spent. 
For ways to support the integrative law movement and our world-changing work, go to our website at www.integrativelaw.com and click on Support the Movement tab at the top of the page. Another great way to support us is to rate us five stars and comment, like, follow or subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Google, YouTube or your favourite podcast platform. These ratings and interactions help us get seen and heard by even more people to make an even stronger impact. Thank you for your support and spending time with us today. Enjoy the rest of this conversation. So I'm trying to think of the timing of this then. So, and you, you said that you had trained about uh, 50 to 60 mediators since that. And this was during COVID times during, right? So how did you have those trainings? Were they now online trainings? Were, how were they? So two things happened. The first training was in November, right? So we trained around uh, 20 to 30 students then. What switched was me and Raheem had a conversation about how to make it move forward because we couldn't, A, either the option was we stopped training altogether, but we are both very substantially aware that the pandemic wasn't going to go anywhere quickly. So if it wasn't going to go away, we would have to adapt. And then another thing happened. We tr- so the business model first was that we would need a minimum number of students to make a course viable, right? Because we need that much money. We try to do that on online. And while it was possible, it seemed very strenuous. And then we also realized it was very unnecessary because Raheem is an ADO Odia International, not just offering courses in Pakistan, but offering courses all over the world. So what he realized at that moment was, even with his obligations with me and vice versa, we realized we could free ourselves. There was no need for a minimum number because now there was no minimum requirement. Why not? How, how so? Because I don't have to pay for flights. I don't have to pay for someone to come here. I don't have to pay for space. I don't have to pay for anything technically. So moving it online, then you, you freed yeah. it. Freed Our up. operation expenses went zilch. So when we moved it online, we freed it up. And once you freed it up, and because COVID allowed online, because COVID normalized online, we were able to train more people in more countries in more ways than anyone had ever thought possible. And that all the credit is there for ADO International. So I had set up ADO Initiative separately because I told him we and my people will need, because that's our thing, we like having our own identities. So I said, we're going to partner with you. you. The notion is my success is yours and vice versa. So you keep working on the international sphere. I'll keep Pakistan for you. And we will be able to build on this for however long is necessary. Yeah. When you said uh, my success is your success and your success is my success. What a great foundation to have for a partnership or a venture to have that uh, clarity in the sharing of the success. I just wanted to stop and pause on that, highlight that for a second. <laughs> yeah, that is, that is essential for me now. Like you can't, I've seen too many things fizzle away because people disagree and suddenly partnerships go boom. So I have noticed it's much better for everyone to have their own house, to have their own castle, to have their own autonomy, to have their own identity. And we have a relationship that allows each to do their own thing. Some may work better, some may work not, but at least if for whatever reason, 
you want to separate from me or you want to integrate deeper into me, it happens on your term. There doesn't have to be a position or a statement that requires any power imbalance, right? So if someone says, look, I've gotten what I wanted out of this and I want to leave, sure. We, it's not that we were there for forever after and forever after hasn't come or will never come. And now I'm very angry or bitter about something that you are now breaking our trust. No, no, yeah, business wouldn't be able to work, especially in our current environment now. And with the current generation, we are flippant as anything. <laughs> so we may change objectives, goals, and so on in the break of a hat. And I feel the freedom to do that should be available for everyone. Before we start, uh, before we started recording, you and I were talking a little bit, and you had said that, you know, the trajectory of your career was one thing before COVID. COVID kind of changed it, and now you're not sure it might change into something else going forward. Have you thought a little bit more about what going forward might look like, or what you would want it to look like? So, see, even with the ADR work, there was a personal objective. One is the organization objective, right? Organization objective is that we have to make ADR sustainable and viable and to just make it a thing in Pakistan. Personal objective was I started off with wanting international arbitrations, for example. Then I shift to mediation, then I shift to negotiation. I did an entire, I set up an entire startup just so that I would be able to channel and funnel more work or to funnel or make my own identity as the ADR guy, right? And which I accomplished which is what, in fact, the other, we had COVID in November, like last in 2021. And that was, I believe, the first time where I just stopped because literally I was in the bed with things dripped into me and medicine going into me and I was not allowed to do anything. So I had enough time to just stop. And I'm very grateful. This will sound very twisted, but I'm very grateful for that because if... COVID hadn't stopped me. I'm not sure what would have stopped me. And I would have just kept on going. And sometimes, and in fact, I would say a lot of times, we kind of need to stop and think if what we started with and we wanted in the start and what we want now have anything to do with each other. So it occurred to me that ADI initiative in November 2019 as, no, sorry, November 2021, it's 22, right? <laughs> Track of years. Uh, has become everything I wanted it to be. And now it doesn't need me. In the sense, it needed me to build it. It needed me to be the guy who pushed it. But now, but thankfully, we have lots of new people who are coming in who want to do new and more exciting things who need me for a little bit. But the... It, like they, no one needs me to just carry this entire startup forward. So with every startup, there's this inertia thing, right? There's this friction that you have to push it forward until you get to rolling. Once it starts rolling, you need just little, little taps. You don't need to give the entire push. So it's not realized that while I like what I have built, it doesn't really need me that much anymore. So what do I need to do? I realized that I had already gotten what I wanted out of it and that I was big in the ADR sphere in Pakistan and somewhere in the world as well. So my initial achievement or my initial objective was that I wanted to do international stuff in arbitration, mediation, and so on, 
And I had a very scathing realization that I, and including my wife, because my wife also came in one day and said, look, I am now the director of a law school. So she changed the position now. She's in the Marshall and you job now. I am running three programs with two LLMs and so on and so forth. And I don't know what in this country I'll do that will top that. I was like, you seem right. So you want to hear something from me? I kind of feel the same thing. I have no idea what I'll, what this country can offer me now when I've kind of pretty much given and it has given me everything. So now we need to think bigger. So essentially this London trip was also a way for me to now figure out what my next steps are going to be. But I needed to be, I needed, <laughs> I needed to be stuck in bed to have been stopped. And then various other things happened, some traumatic, some um, less so. That also told me that you need to calm the hell down because my health was getting a bit um, bad. COVID was bad. And then uh, generally, see, we had a very stagnant lifestyle during COVID because what are you going to do? You can't walk. You can't do anything. So I put on quite a lot of weight. I got very unhealthy. And I told everyone from 2022, I'm going to focus this year on my health. And in whatever happens in that sphere, I'll manage it. But I also need to figure out the next couple of things because I already have given two new partners coming in whatever area initiative has to do. But in the biggest sphere of the world and of peace building, because now I was exposed to the world of peace building, by the way. So a lot of people uh, from, there was this organization called the United States Institute of Peace. We did a project. Sorry, can you say that? What's the name of it again? United States Institute of Peace. So we worked with them on a peace building project that was based on interfaith harmony. And I'd never thought about interfaith harmony. I'd never thought about peace and interfaith harmony. Yeah. But we did a project on interfaith harmony that was revolving around virtual reality. And it just blew my mind. I, I was just a director and a mediator for that. But the technology part of it completely blew my mind. And I realized in that entire thing that I have only dabbled in technology to the point that I have brought Zoom into the entire sphere of disuse, right? But to be very clear, and I am now hunting here, I need to think much bigger. So I am gonna try to find artificial intelligence and the nexus between artificial intelligence and dispute resolution. Because what became very clear to me was me being hired or a person being involved as a mediator is still an expense. It's still a block towards the entirety of my, not only my population, but the entire population in the world to have the disputes resolved. Now, with all of us having immense social anxiety anyway, we generally don't like fighting people. So that still has nothing to do with the fact that we still have issues. So those issues need someone to be involved now are in case you haven't noticed uh people favor apps significantly more to ordering food than just basically calling someone up and say man i want food because little human interaction we for whatever reason which isn't a good thing but i'm very guilty of it i value everything that requires me to interact with humans as minimally as possible 
are you trying to think of developing an AI app that can serve the role as the mediator so people can just get the app? Two people who are in a dispute can get an app and the AI guides them through the uh, resolution of the dispute. So you're correct. But let me add on to that. I learned that disputes have tiers, right? Let's go with the highest tier. The highest tier would be that you have a dispute that requires a person or many to sit with you physically over there because without that, the dispute may not get resolved because it's the nature of a dispute that requires that much and maybe, and that'll require some economics, right? Yeah. Maybe this is where you are comfortable because the dispute amount is so on and that all of that makes sense for you. Then you move down. You realize that your dispute is of a nature that if someone is behind you in the screen and there's no travel expenses, no physical expenses, and that may work. Like your dispute may be, let's say in tier two, for example, where this is enough, what we're doing. Then you realize that there's a tier before, below that, which is every day, which is a sort of issues and problems you deal with on any and every given day that eBay try to do that, I think AliExpress is trying to do where their little automated robots try to tell me, okay, we talk to your purchaser, they, they've had the, no one's talking to anyone. They never really bother talking to anyone. They just basically looked at dispute, at issue, something behind them figured out, this seems like something they'd agree to, let's give it to them. We said yes, they said yes, done. That is what happens every day. That will, is what will happen if, let's say right now I have this Oyster card from London, right? That is what will happen if you have a dispute with, with the TFL, the Transport for London Authority, if you want to dispute a transaction. No human is going to be involved in that. They're just going to put it into a thing and say, okay, is this going to make sense? Fine, just do it. So there, the entirety of the world right now, and I'm going to go on a very big, <laughs> uh, let's say hippie-ish route right now, we are dealing with a lot of conflict. And I don't just mean, I don't just mean Ukraine. I don't mean um, Trump before you. I don't mean something as big and bombastic as that. We generally as a species right now are dealing with a situation where we can't speak, where we can't discuss, where we can't share our differences. And we have a lot of differences. And Gender right now is massive and that's beautiful. But there is an entire other world over here whose disputes are still revolving around something so different and something so basic that you still have no idea how to handle it. AI fascinates me and scares me at the same time. So I'm going to be, that's my bias. It's fascinating and scares me um, going into this. Do you think that if, Part of the problem is people don't know how to speak about things, how to speak about conflict, how to speak about conflict in a way to have a result. Providing AI to do that for us is going to make it like... Very correct. In the sense that we're giving power to an entity, which we don't know, which we don't understand, which we don't really control, in regardless of whatever we may think. To... And we're lessening our skill set, like on something that we're already losing a skill set with our communication skills. It's like we're, we're, we're dropping the bar even lower because we're going to have to use them uh, even less. See, the notion is it's like your gateway drug. 
So a lot of people are uncomfortable. My wife, she's uncomfortable with conflict. I'm also uncomfortable with conflict. People, when they don't fight for themselves, eventually do, but not in the scale, in the proportionality to whatever happened to them in the start. By the time you come around to fighting for yourself, you have to somehow justify it. You have to somehow say, okay, this is what happened to me. Look at this big problem for which I'm fighting, right? Because uh, for lack of a better word, people generally are averse to conflict, which is good. But they, I think it's, they have stretched that to being averse to, um, to harmony, to resolution, to a lot of happiness that had come about if they weren't so scared that things that they would say or things that they would share which have bothered them would result in conflict. So if you slowly start to see that you sharing something with a faceless app or so on, and they're just falling here, leads to at least you sharing things that bothered you, right? This is, I'm not doing therapy over here, but essentially you are just basically saying this that happened, I did not like. And let's say you get nothing, which is daily, which is every day, which is what my, uh, someone dropped a bloody bag or the shoes on my wife's foot and she was very upset. And I had to tell her, dude, can't really do anything right now. Yeah. Like you could start a fight. Someone cuts in front of you in line at a store. Like someone drops something on your shoe. Someone cuts in front of you in line at a store. Yeah. So I tried to minimize the conflict because I, at that time, was not comfortable with having conflict over there. That was my problem. That was not my wife's problem. My wife wanted to rip the person's head off, but I stopped her from doing that. That was not a good thing. That allowed her, that allowed a little issue to ferment, to grow into annoyance, to hatred, to something else. And that person, of course, we never see again. But, but what would have been, it, you know, um, attacking the person may not have been, what would have been a good way to handle that issue? A hel- I shouldn't say good world, way. I don't want to put good or bad. What would have been a healthy way to handle that issue? In the ideal world, what would have been is we wouldn't have been surrounded by people. We were suddenly been transformed or transposed into a space where both of them were sitting. And this is, this is supposed to happen in microsecond. Like somehow we need to stop time. Like Dr. Strange was on the time stone or some bloody thing. And suddenly we're there and we're sitting and she can comfortably and very easily share with her, look, this is what you did cause this. And the other person could maybe share. I completely hear, and this I'm saying in the ideal world, okay, <laughs> completely hear you. I understand where you're coming from. Now I have the opportunity and luxury to share that this is what happened while and why, what mental state I was in while I was doing this. And this is where all of the past year or past month or so frustration, I just threw that thing down. I'm sorry that I hurt you. That wasn't my intention. I don't want to hurt you. I just wanted to do something else, which was being hurt. And I did not want or expect that. And I'm sorry about it. I would say, oh, I completely understand that. But I understand this is not about me. This is about you. And what you caused while it hurt me, sure, I'll just rub it down or anyone else can. And you can remove the emotion and the sting out of it. You acknowledge no it and you're handling it at the same time and instead of letting it fester. 
no one in this unfortunate world has the time to do this you do not have the opportunity at any point ever to do this because this takes humanity this takes effort this takes time and for some reason we believe that our time is better spent on other things yeah if our time is better spent on other things then all of this conflict and all of this problem and all these other things i swear to you everyone's issues are easy to talk about if someone was if someone did not if that person when she dropped that thing did not have to hold her other daughter or child over there and she wasn't thinking okay i just need to get these shoes on and leave because we're leaving a mosque so there were shoes and stuff and at that time we were not surrounded by entire hegemony of people who in that and this is real in that moment they almost felt my wife's uh, anger or something on some negativity and everyone braced because you all brace because you all are wondering what is it this is like evolution and our survival instinct right we all brace and then i knowing that part and knowing there was no way for me to allow this entire thing to happen and somehow have my wife come out the winner or the loser or have anyone come out in a better state or possible so i try to do what every individual has tried to do incorrectly and without acknowledging the person's actual feeling i tried to suppress it yeah i tried to dampen it down so that the situation would not escalate because everyone everyone other than those two would be uncomfortable with the situation escalating and it is not actually our problem those two if they were isolated in some other area they could have figured their stuff out but everyone here has to care about everyone else which is lovely so we come from a communal world right we're of the eastern part of the world so we are always conscious about the effect on the community that is not really ever conducive to individualism because the individuals generally get trampled so we have uh, there are too many people who later on may have enormous amounts of trauma so mehak is my wife has been learning therapy she's going to become a therapist in that process i've also learned it i've also learned the psychology of it all and man i am so mad at so many things that i had no idea about because i never knew i could be mad about that i never knew that this was these were things that i could at any, at any point in my life have raised and said that this is what i don't want for me because at that time all that mattered to me was i should not create a situation that will affect the functioning of whatever is going on right so that's okay for society that works for individuals it does not hence when you come to a point where a lot of individuals have a lot of things that they're very mad about which no one ever asks them or talk to them about I don't know if this is part of your idea with the AI in conflict resolution and bringing uh, technology but or like an add on to it how you were talking about like with games and stuff so bear with me with this so I was just talking to my sister the other day about how you know you're in a reaction or or you see something and you're triggered and you react and then like you know with me myself it may have been like 3 days later i'd be i'd process it and i'd be like oh i wish i could have handled it this way now that gap is getting smaller and smaller and you hope that with time and mindfulness that when i'm triggered 
my mindfulness will add a pause where I react the way that's in aligned with my values at that time instead of whatever, how many days later. And when I talk to other people about different things, they always say, yes, that it, it's practice, it's work. Uh, NVC, nonviolent communications, it's a skill that you learn and you practice. So now all this come to you, create like a virtual reality game that puts you in a situation where you can practice the NVC skills right then and there, where you can practice the holistic skills as part of the virtual reality game. Oh, that's nice. Wouldn't that be great? I would, I would get it because I want to practice these things. See, there's this other... Uh, so there's this other notion about what you just said. The game is totally on. But then there's also this notion we have that everyone works in our script. So we tend to build a script in our heads about how certain conflicts will happen. Yeah. We prepare. Like if I am, see, at every moment, when you got triggered and when you later think that this is how I should have handled it, we are making an entire series of assumptions that in the event of A, like algorithmically, right? And if the other person was more interested in hearing us as to how to do it, this, how to do it. Yeah. So the reality of it all is, at least at the end, which is hence why AI and whatever quantum stuff are going on, um, things are not binary. No, no. Well, and the computers and so on, we're moving away from binary, thank God. So when you realize that things are not binary, you also realize with my wife, for example, in that incident, what could have happened, but which did happen was later on, we had a series of assumptions, like maybe she would have done this, maybe she would have done that, maybe, maybe, right? All of these are created out of our own experiences, are created out of us, out of what we think someone, anyone would do. And here we make a lot of assumptions. We make assumptions about race, about gender, about age, about uh, ethnicity, about general, how to put it, zen of people. But all these are assumptions. They have nothing to do with fact. What we do erroneously, which, my, which I've done a lot is, I take too much of my assumption and presume that maybe one of these was what's possible. Whereas reality is almost none of that has to be possible. Hence, there was a certain thing I did. And that's kind of how I managed to survive COVID with my wife. The negotiation training that we did, I did because we started fighting a lot. And when we started fighting a lot, I realized that she was fighting over things, but she wasn't able to predominantly phrase that this is what I'm fighting about. She was just angry about things, right? Same with me, because I had had an entire litany of history of having very difficult fights, a very difficult conflict, and so on. I also presumed. I also went into presumptive state that if we fight at this, so on and so forth. So right after we did our negotiation, I later on also brought her, and then she also became mediator. And I did all in the ambit of saying, look, we need to continue to be married to each other. So we need to continue to have skills that allow us to be better at conflict resolution. Then she started becoming a therapist. That went way deeper. So there is definitely a very strong nexus between the psychology of it all, the psychology of conflict, the actual theory of conflict, and the psychology of people 
and the nexus or the root of triggers that we have that we are right so whatever she learned for i don't know what it's called but pretty much everything has to do with our childhood almost everything on the bloody planet has to do with the fact something some guy kicked us when i was small and that made me think i am gonna keep a shin guard over my legs and nothing ever kicks me I did a personal development, a couple of personal development retreats and things over the time. And one was based on, oh, I forget what famous, well-known like psychologist or uh, work. And anyways, it was like 90% of who we are is formed on what happened to us from zero to nine years old. Yeah. And those incidents, even if like there, you know, we've, uh, an incident will happen, will form an impression on us that we form a belief and then we go through, we act according to those beliefs. And then based on our actions, we define of who we are. And it's like, until you go back and process and figure out what are those things that initially formed your belief, sometimes you're running on an automatic subconscious level to things. So anyways, that sounds like in line with what you were discussing with your wife. It is. I learned just because we decided that if she's doing it, we're going to start therapy together and we're going to go deeper into ourselves. I learned that I'm not alone in saying this. Pretty much all of my life has just been a reaction. A reaction to a thing, maybe a very tiny thing, but it happened when I was also very tiny. So that thing basically became the entirety of me. So right now, this entire retreat is also not has another couple of reasons. I have to figure out not just theory, not just the dispute resolution, not just JDR, not just anything else. I have to figure out how much of all of us are just reactions to things that have nothing to do with us. If let's say, and this was a pipe dream when I was a baby, if I do have to work on world peace and I do have to somehow bring about the skill set necessary or anything else to help people understand what peace can be, never mind, make it happen. Let's just try to see how we can get there. Then my rabbit hole keeps getting deeper. I keep finding new things. I keep understanding that we as human beings are creation, our products not just of who we are as a genesis, maybe there's some, these psychiatrists say some small child inside, right? Now that small child inside me, I'm sure it's something, I haven't met him in ages. So I have no idea what he's all about, Uh, but I do know what his manifestation, what my entire skin is for the rest of the world. Now, let's say there is another entire world which I can't get into, which is basically about what psyche what mentality you came through right to become whatever it is that you are now that's not my business i don't know psychology i know anything but what i do know is a lot of that can have the thing that i do in mediation the thing we require to do we require to figure out why this problem happened sometimes it's very simple sometimes the why is just basically this product that you sold me is is garbage so the why is simple sometimes and particularly this started happening because there were a lot of family issues and that was where we were told that our work would be fundamental so the more you get into people the more you move away from corporates and you move into people and just to be clear corporates have egos 
they ha- there's a much bigger entire whirlpool of things over there. I start realizing that if I know this part of the world, if I know the psyche, if I know where it is, I don't have to point out to people. Like, I really don't have to be there sitting and triggering people and saying, okay, look, this is what you, your father did to you when you were young, that hence you're doing this. That's not going to go well. I don't think anyone's going to It's me for the purpose of knowing that there is something else, there are different elements involved in this, makes it a bit more easy or a bit more relevant for me to understand that this line of uh, whatever I'm going down is going to lead to a result or it's not going to lead to a result. Because I can identify that this is not just a purely, let's say, materialistic affair. There are emotions involved in it. And these emotions are also not just involved with these two people. These emotions have roots way back. So even if I try to resolve this, these two people, that won't work either. Yeah. So all of that, just the idea of knowing that, see, this is why law was easier, litigation was easier. I just realized why litigation only required, and there was something I would tell people. Litigation requires you to distill. It re- demands reduction. It demands knowing that, okay, these are five facts. Only two of these are relevant for me to put into this entire puzzle that I can trigger for this ground that will allow me to say this is why an injustice happened according to these laws. So you give me 10 things, a person can come up to me and say, he did this product wrong. He also called me a maniac. He said these things. I'm very angry with him. And then he also did this and this, this, this. this. In litigation, I'd be like, okay, no, 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 no. Stop, stop, stop. Tell me what the product was wrong. The rest, I don't care about. Please get that out of my desk. In mediation, because I actually want them to stop, I have to hear all of it. And then I have to tell him, okay, I think that's not all of it. Because I can tell there's more in it. So share. And he shares. So we call this information gathering in the start. And it just occurred to me, we were trained in civil commercial mediation. And that was a blessing because all it required was just the civil part of it, right? Okay, what is the contract? What did it say? What does that do? Okay, this is all I have to understand. If at any point, and I mean, at the end of the day, this is high value, but still, if people want me to help them resolve something that is so rooted, so deep, and so everything, and then bring them a settlement that they can sign. And all of that has to do with egos, with bigness, with everything. So for anyone else who's listening to this, know this. If you're dealing with CEOs and managers, that's only, money doesn't matter at all. We all keep thinking bottom line is very important. Trust me, bottom line doesn't matter for squat. Everyone can put the bottom line away if they think their egos are being abused or if their emotions are being right now and so on. Uh, because at the end of the day, everyone realizes we can make money. We, we made money before. We can make money later on. But right now, at that moment, they just want to be acknowledged. And they want to say that I have become this big, very important person in the world. And now, this person, this other person, is coming into an ego battle with me. I'm assuming uh, with Twitter that's going to happen because Elon Musk is having some enormous amounts of ego battles with everyone. So it's the sort of thing where if you want to go deeper, you suddenly realize you, there is really no end to it. So we, I have just basically put down that I'm going to just go to the AI part because right now that may work and that may just lead to quick and it may not solve everyone's issues naturally but it is 
a way to democratize to easy to ease up the problem of disputes and unfortunately this seems very harsh to remove a lot of the other humans from it because if i as a mediator am sitting there two issues a the other person may be uncomfortable with me the actual clients two i might bring my own problems into the mediation and sometimes there's a there's that absent person you know you have the two parties to the dispute but there's someone who's not there that okay. really influences it right so you're dealing with all these things so the notion is i think the first two i went for the tiers there were tiers like there were this tier and then this tier i think the first two have been catered for the third one is as yet still i don't know if anyone's working on it i don't know enough about ai i don't know enough about technology but if anyone is working on it i want to know them and i want to figure out what can happen with them so right, maybe someone is, will hear this <laughs> anyone hoping that, because right? i need to now figure out what the next steps are going to be and yeah. at some point my wife would be like you need to stop and i would say yes i am going to stop someday sure <laughs> i think it's i see and i get it um yeah i do see the different tiers that you were saying and how it could be helpful how it actually comes about how it ends up playing you know that's where you're at right now you're open to where where is the need or how you were saying before how sometimes people can have different ideas or different people can have the same idea but how is it executable how or how is it sustainable and there's many different i can see many different ways for this um, yeah. including my virtual reality game idea to get people to yeah, virtual practice reality it. Game idea is awesome i should connect okay. you with the person i worked with her name was alexandra she would definitely get a kick out of it all right i am just mindful of our time i'm sorry i was just so fascinated i get i get i lose track of time but there is one question i ask every guest and mm -hmm. so i want to make sure to ask you mm -hmm. um you know we define integrative law as really law that honors our interconnectedness not only to within ourselves like connecting all parts of ourselves in one way but also realizing that we're connected to others to the world to the planet um and acting practicing law in a way that with integrity with ourselves you know you know how you said when you first started practicing law you have this there people in your family had different ideas of what a lawyer what it was meant to be a lawyer and you got to a point was that really doesn't feel like me um so all that's kind of in the background of what we think of as being an integrative lawyer so i want to ask you the question what does being an integrative lawyer mean to you i ah uh, so an integrative lawyer as a notion was first introduced to me by kim and back then i was much smaller i was much smarter i've gotten dumber over the years and i was also much more open to anything and everything integrative law to my mind seems to be in notion and idea that if someone is telling you that this is all that your profession is that's a law right now right and you feel it can be more and it should be more because you want it to be more you may be alone at that point you might feel 
But once you uh, venture out, which is what happened with me, which is how I met Kim, which is how I met all of you. But once you hold on to that notion and then you try to reach out, you will realize that the world is massive and your little village is tiny, but now you don't have to be restricted to your little village. You can find your people. You can find your people all over the world and they may not be there with you physically trying to help lift a very heavy weight off of you. But at the most, or at least you will know that once you are dealing with that weight, you can, if nothing else, at least you can share with other people and lower your burden, or you can go deeper and work with all kinds of people to make all kinds of things possible that you may never have thought possible in your little thing. That would happen to me in my little village in Pakistan, where I was taught, uh, no, the, I am this person in Florida, which aka Kim, who is also thinking along these lines. And she taught me that uh, there's this inverse to Maslow's principle called color, some color theory or something. And just those words from her gave me enough of a boost because back home, I was about to lose hope. So integrative law is about giving those people hope who may be thinking that they are alone, hence they may never accomplish. I managed and everyone else managed to accomplish many things because for that little moment when we needed drive, when we needed someone to kick us, we were there to kick them. So we all need a little bit of a kick every now and then. And I'm hoping you guys are always around to remind me that uh, you are basically trying to tell us that you have given up on whatever it was that you want to do or whatever it is that you want to, which is okay. I can change my mind, everyone can change their mind. But don't do it because someone tells you you can't and then you think, okay, they may be right. Don't listen to the no. Try to find the yes. There's usually a place where there's a yes. Usually there's a place where there's a yes. I like that. And I agree with that. That is nice. Well, Akbar, it was so nice meeting you today. Thank you so much for being part of Integrative Lawyers of the World. My pleasure. Thank you for having me.